0: If you want to read along with us, this morning we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'll give you a moment to turn there. This summer, Matt has been walking through the book of Second Peter, which is really Peter's last will and testament, as Matt put it. It's the last thing that we know of that Peter wrote. He said that, when he wrote it, he said that he was about to die. He, he thought that the, the Lord was about to take him home. And, well, in a way, this is sort of my last will and testament for the summer this morning, is this sermon. So, I pray that... Uh, that you guys will, will hear these words and benefit from them, that the Lord, the Spirit, will just work through these, these um, things that are spoken today. If you're there, we'll go ahead and read from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Father, that this word that is spoken this morning from your very word would glorify you and edify your church in this place today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. There's a uh, a really great book that I read. Um, I think Matt has a copy, so you can probably borrow it. It's called um, You Are What You Love. You Are What You Love. And it's a book, it's written by uh, James K.A. Smith. And it's a really great book about habit formation and shaping our desires to, to match what what uh, the Lord desires. And, and in this book, he has this really great line, this really great line that I'm going to steal this morning and is kind of going to be the premise, really what we talk about today. And he says this, he says, to be human is to worship. To be human is to worship. Others have, have called the human race, rather than us being homo sapiens, but us being homo liturgicus, homo liturgicus, that, that, that we are liturgical beings by nature, that Really, it's it's in our human nature to worship something, and of course, of course, as Christians, we know we we would say, well, we're worshiping the Lord, we're worshiping God. But I really want to dig into what worship really means this morning, what it what it looks like practically and effectually in our lives. Um, in in John chapter four verse twenty four, we're, we're called to worship in both spirit and in truth, in spirit and in truth, and. And today I want to understand what it really means to worship in spirit and in truth. Our, our passage called it spiritual worship. Spiritual worship, being a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. And all of, this, all of this is set, really. All of this is set in reaction to and in response to the mercies of God. It says that by the mercies of God, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so today we're going to really answer the question, okay, how do we respond to the mercies of God? How do we worship God? We're going to, we're going to look at this passage a little bit backwards. So We're going to start with the second verse. We're going to go through the two, two parts in the second verse, and then we'll return to verse 1 after that. We're going to, we're going to look at the mercies of God, and then we're going to look at um, our transformation. We're going to look at how we can test and discern, and then finally, we're going to look at what it means to be a living sacrifice. How we can offer our bodies to the Lord. So we'll begin by by understanding um, exactly what Paul's talking about when he refers to the mercies of God. I was I was reminded of this just as we were singing even this morning. Uh, "Great is Thy faithfulness." He says, "Morning by morning, new mercies I see," and and truly, God's mercies are never ending, never ending, and yet. Yet Paul gives us a pretty good list of of a lot of them in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So we're just going to talk about a few of these mercies that come from God, these great and and precious promises as we've heard preached the past few weeks. We're going to talk about a few of these and and understand why it is that we're called to respond to them in worship. The first first mercy that, that, that God gives to us, that Paul reveals... In, um, in the book of Romans, which is by no means an exhaustive list, is, is God's righteousness. It's God's righteousness. And in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul puts it this way, in laying out exactly what the gospel is in light of God's righteousness. He says, "'I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed.'" From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is God's righteousness, which is a mercy to us, as we'll see in just just a moment. In just a moment. When we when we carry on through the book, we can we can see in in chapter three, which we'll read another passage uh, to to understand this really deeply, but we can see how that righteousness is worked through our faith. From Romans three, verses twenty three through twenty six we can read this And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Truly truly God's righteousness is shown to us in his mercy, in his kindness. He says that that God put forward Christ Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this word propitiation basically means a sin offering. It means it means one who who comes and is offered on behalf of of our sin. We'll come back to that later, but keep it in mind. And, and, and then as we, as we continue to, to walk through the book of Romans, we see just more and more of God's mercies worked through his righteousness as his gifts to us. We see, we see in chapter 5 that we can be assured of our salvation, that we have peace with God and we have hope in Christ. In, in chapter 6, and again in chapter 8, we, we receive uh, the mercy of sanctification. Paul tells us that, um, that we are dead to our sin, but alive in Christ. That we are to live by the Spirit and to set our mind on the things of the Spirit, not of the flesh. This is the mercy that God gives us in making us sanctified. Further in, in chapter 6, uh, Six. after that section on sanctification, Paul points out that we are adopted. We are adopted into the family of God, saying that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Another mercy of God, friends, is that we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God that we are heirs along with Christ of the promise of redemption and salvation. But what is this promise without, without an end, without an end, which is, which is what he said there at the end of that passage, that, that we may also be glorified with him. And we see this further on in, in chapter 8 in Romans, that, that creation is to be set free from, from bondage to corruption, that it's to be set free unto God. Yet another mercy is that we are to be glorified one day, and be reunited with the Father. Of course, all this is is is, is because of the very mercies of God. These are the very mercies of God's of, of the vers- mercies of God, friends. That that He chose to show us these things. In in chapter nine, it says that God shows mercy to who He ch- whom He chooses to show mercy. That we are, we are elected and we are called unto God only by his choice, only by his mercy and his gift of grace to us. And that this, that this gift is for all. Paul is so explicit that it is for both Jew and Gentile. For Jew and Gentile, in, in chapter 10, he says, he says this in verses 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The greatest mercy that God gives to us is is truly himself, and he gives us the opportunity as he calls us and draws us near to himself to confess him as Lord, to believe that he was raised from the dead. If you've never done this, I encourage you this morning, put your trust in Jesus, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Talk with, with Matt or one of the elders, someone someone um, who's a member here, and they can very clearly articulate this for you and, and help walk you alongside, walk alongside you in it. But truly, these are this is this is God's mercy toward us. I think that the best way, maybe, to sum up the mercies of God and to understand the the context of, of chapter twelve comes in 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 chapter eight, verse twenty-eight through thirty. And this, this lays out step-by-step step the process of, of one uh, of the mercies of God to the next. It says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purpose. For those he, form, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Brothers and sisters, these are the mercies of God. That he has foreknown us, that he has predestined us, that he conforms us to the image of his son, that he justifies us, and that one day he will glorify us. These are the mercies of God in light of all these in in response to all of these mercies that is that is where we we get this call to be living sacrifices paul says paul says that it is by the mercies of god that we are to present ourselves to him and yet and yet truly we can't understand what it means to present ourselves to god until we understand the rest of this passage and so as I mentioned before, I really, wanna, I really want to maybe look at this a little bit backwards in order to better explain it, but we're going to begin by looking at the first part of, of verse 2, 2a, two if you will, which, which says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So I want to talk about this renewal of mind, this renewal of mind in light of the mercies of God, which have been made known to you. We are to be renewed in mind. Ray, Ray Ortland says this in, in his book on the gospel. He says that no one is static. No one is static. That, that in every moment, every, every day, every, every step of our lives, we are moving either toward God or toward the world. And, and Paul here is, is just so explicit that, that if we're being conformed to the world, we're walking toward the world, then it means that we don't know the mercies of God. It means that we aren't being transformed. It means that, that we aren't offering ourselves as living sacrifices. But instead, he calls us to walk toward the Father, to walk toward the Son, by the Spirit. See, because the problem is, and, and we can find this in Galatians 1.4, the problem is that this world, this age, this generation that we live in, is a wicked one. It's a wicked one. Galatians one four says that, that the Lord is rescuing us from this present evil age. And so we do not want to be conformed. I don't want to be conformed, and I hope neither do you, to this, to this wicked, wicked world. In chapter 8, as we, as we saw earlier, we, we see that this, this, this happens by the Holy Spirit. This happens by the Holy Spirit because he says that we are to put our mind on the things of the Spirit and not of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we are transformed into Christ's image uh, from one degree of glory to the next, and that this is done by the Spirit. So without the Holy Spirit, friends, we cannot have transformation. And without the Holy Spirit, we will not be transformed into what? Into Christ likeness. Into Christ's likeness. This is one of those mercies of God, that he draws us to himself that he allows us to turn and walk toward him, walking in step with the Spirit as we are indwelt and away from the wickedness of the world. Away from the wickedness of the world. Truly, I, I can't express this strongly enough. We must be transformed by the Spirit. We must walk toward the Father. If we're not, we are walking away from him. No one is static. No one is static. We are never not moving. Move toward God. Allow your mind to be made new. You see, when we're reborn, when we receive regeneration, when we are saved, justified by the Father through the Son, We receive a whole new life. Scripture tells us that we are dead to our sin, that we are alive in Christ. We receive a whole new life, and this includes a new mind, a new heart, and new desires. New desires for the things of God. And that that transformation, that transformation, that life change that, that truly happens when we are born again in the Spirit, in the name of Jesus leads us into a greater and a deeper understanding of the will of God. If you'll notice in, in, in verse 2, he says, Paul says that, that we are supposed to receive this renewal of mind and that by testing, we will be able to discern the will of God. See, he connects these two things very clearly, that it's through transformation and through the renewal of our mind that we are able to discern the will of God. Because we have been transformed, because we are no longer being conformed to our, our former ways, as 1 Peter 1 puts it, because of that, we are, we are able to test and discern the will of God. We are able to know what he calls those things that are good and acceptable and perfect. Of course, he begins by saying that we do this through testing, through testing. And, and this was something that Matt and I talked a lot about this week, is, is really, what is this testing? How can we understand? How can we know? Well, I think our best bet most often is to turn to other scripture to understand this scripture. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21, uh, we are commanded to test everything and hold fast to what is good. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. Every conversation that we have, every, every work assignment that we're given, we are to test and hold on to what is good. Every sermon that we hear, I hope you are testing and holding on to only that which is good, even this morning. And yet, he also tells us uh, um, that we are to be able to discern the will of God. That through testing, we can discern. And so when we hear these things and we respond to them, we better know what is the will of God. But how how can we know the will of God if we aren't testing against the standards of God? And these are the standards of God. There's, there's two of them. There's the Holy Scriptures, the good book. As Matt pointed out, I'm a man with a book. It's all any of us could ever be is, is just someone with a book. This scripture is the standard by which we are to test all things. In Acts chapter 17, the, the Berean church is commended because every time they hear something, they go and they, they search the scriptures to see if it's true. This is how we ought to be testing everything that we hear. How we should be testing the spirits, as 1 John chapter 4 puts it, when speaking of, of teachings and, and prophecies being preached in the church. That we should seek to relate everything to Scripture, to understand everything in light of the Scriptures. And the second way is this, the second standard is this, the Holy Spirit. Matt preached a few weeks ago on Second Peter chapter 1 on, on, on the inspiration of Scripture that the Holy Spirit both inspires Scripture and also enables our interpretation of it. That our interpretation of the will of God as it's, as it's laid out in the Scripture and as he puts it into our hearts is only revealed to us by the Spirit. By the Spirit. This transformation, as we, as we said, points us to Christ, and it is through the Spirit. In the same way, our testing and our discernment of the will of God is only through the Holy Spirit. And this, this is so that we can know God better, that we can understand his commandments and obey. Trust and obey, as Bud put it this morning. This is the will of God. The will of God both, both in the big and great cosmic plan to, to redeem and renew all of creation and also the, the minutia of our everyday lives. The comings and goings, the waking up and going to sleep. God's will is found in each of these things. And in all of it, he seeks what is good, what is righteous and holy in his eyes, as the Holy One of Israel, the only standard by which we can live. And that which is acceptable, Paul tells us, acceptable according to God's commands, because really we don't accept anything that we haven't asked for, if you think about it. It, You don't accept something that you don't want, that you don't desire. Perhaps we might you know, out of the goodness of our hearts and kindness to the giver. But but from God, he only accepts what he has commanded. And he also tells us that these things are perfect. That the will of God is for the things that are good and acceptable and perfect. Another word for this might be mature. Mature or complete or full. That his will, the things that he desires for his people, and the things which we are called to obedience toward are full. There are no half measures on our end or the Lord's, he will not accept it. So the question then is this, what is God's will in our sacrifice? Because he tells us that that it's according to that will and understanding of it by the mercies of God that we're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. But isn't Christ our sacrifice? certainly think he'd be mine. So how then can I offer anything to the Lord? How could, I, how could I present myself, my body, to be a living sacrifice before God when truly Christ is, as we spoke about in chapter 3, that propitiation that pays for my sin? Well, I think it's important for us to understand a little bit about sacrifice and about, about what sacrifice in the Old Testament and in Judaism looked like. And, and we can find a whole bunch of information in, in the first seven chapters of Leviticus on laws and instructions and, and rules and guidelines for offering sacrifices to the Lord. And what it really boils down to, there's several different kinds of, of sacrifices that are mentioned, but what it really boils down to are two things. Sin offerings, Sin offerings those propitiations like how Christ paid for us, were paid for then by the blood of, of bulls and goats and 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 birds and lambs. And also thanksgiving offerings, thank offerings. Offerings which which were not offered in response to our sin, but were offered in response to God's action in our lives. One example of this is found in Second in Samuel chapter twenty-three, when David and his armies are, are up against the Philistines. They're up against the Philistines, and, and the Philistines have inhabited uh, the area of Bethlehem. And, and, and David says to his men, to some of the heroes of his army that are listed in, in chapter 23 of Second Samuel, um, he asks them to go and draw him water from the well of Bethlehem, which, of course, is, is no small task because they have to work their way through an entire army to get there. And, and they go and they, and they draw from this well and they come back to, to David and they bring him water. And they hand him the cup and, and he says, he says basically, this water is like the blood of the men who, who, who risked their lives to go get it. I'm not worthy to drink it. And he pours the cup out on the ground. And you might think, wow, those guys must have been really ticked. <laughs> they went through all of this work to bring him his water, and he poured it in the dirt. And yet, truly, David was understanding something that maybe we're missing too often in our lives. And that's that that thanksgiving to God, that sacrifice unto him, is far greater than any human action. It's far greater than our desire to to serve our masters. It's far greater than anything. But that, that it is truly the thanksgiving that we give to God is truly our living sacrifice. And so while, while Christ may be our sin offering, the one who died on our behalf, our propitiation, we offer ourselves in response to the goodness of God, in response to God allowing men to go through armies and bring us water, in response to that, we pour out our cup. We present our very bodies and he's not just talking about our physical bodies, but our whole self, mind, soul, spirit, whatever you want to, to call it, whatever language you want to use. But our whole self is offered to the Lord in thanksgiving. Every sacrifice that was, that was offered to the Lord, there's, there's so many laws and, and priestly responsibilities that go along with all this, but the sacrifices were, were never partial. He never gave simply, simply part of an animal but you would either give it all to the Lord or certain amounts or parts of it would be allowed to be eaten by the priests or the, the person giving it. But all of, the, all of the animal would be offered in some way. And also, too, you wonder, well, didn't these sacrifices have to die? Didn't these sacrifices have to die? I can see clearly how Christ died for us as our sin offering, but how am I to die as a living sacrifice How can I die as a thanks offering? Well, friends, as we've spoken about already today, that our old self, our sin, must die. That there is still a death that goes on and takes place in this sacrifice. If you want more on this, read Colossians 3. Look back at at chapter 6 in Romans, verse 11. That we are dead in our sin. That we are alive to God. Alive in Christ. This is what it means to be a holy, living sacrifice. It's interesting to me. It's interesting to me that um, Paul qualifies this sacrifice. He says that we are to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable to God. And it it reminds me of Christ as the, the perfect and spotless lamb. And we're familiar with that phrase, but, but I wonder if we realize what it really means. Because when we talk about Old Testament sacrifice, if we talk about these Levitical laws, it was the first fruits that were to be offered before the Lord, right? It was, it was the best of your crop, the strongest bull, the cleanest wooled lamb. No spots, no blemishes, but perfect sacrifices that were to be offered to God. And I look at myself, this dude just standing up here sweating, and I think about all of the, the evil and the, the, the wrong in my life, and I think, I am no perfect sacrifice. I am no perfect sacrifice. How then, how then could it be that I could ever be called a holy and acceptable sacrifice? And, and again, we say, we say, well, well of course you can't, Owen, oh, you can't. It's only because of the blood of Christ that you can be washed of your sin. And I say, amen. But what about the thanks offering? To understand this, we, we turn back to verse 2. We turn back to verse 2 in, in this, this passage, which, which, which says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our minds. See, the renewal of our minds, the the receiving of a new heart from the Lord and the working of the Holy Spirit to transform us is what makes us to be holy and acceptable. The Lord only accepts our offering, our sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise and worship because it is the same Spirit, it is his, His very self that is working through us to make us holy and acceptable. See, I think sometimes He he points out later in this chapter that that we think too highly of ourselves. He goes on in the very next section to say that we ought not think too highly of ourselves. But instead, friends, we ought to remember that that anything that we have in, in regard to holiness and sanctity, that our acceptableness before God is only because of his grace. That the only reason that you and I could worship, that we could praise... The only reason that, that we could do that is because of the very mercies of God. It is, it is that very gift of salvation that enables us to praise him. Which, of course, brings us to, to the final part of this where he says that this is your true and proper worship, your spiritual worship. This, this, this word spiritual really means true and proper, reasonable, logical. It's, it's spiritual in the sense that it is an inward expression of praise, of worship, of service unto the Lord. While the Jews relied on, on, on animals and, and grain and, and bread to offer to the Lord, our offering is our hearts. It's our minds. It's our whole self, internally, which is only possible by the Spirit, who enables us to be that thanks offering. So I want us to remember, then, that, that we are a thanks offering, that we are not a sin offering. We could never be a sin offering. If, we're, if we were to, to try to pay for our sin with our own lives, it would cost us that, our own lives separated from God forever under eternal punishment and judgment, and that it's only by the goodness and the grace of our God that you and I can give thanks, that we can worship and that we can praise him eternally, in glory. We are so, so depraved and, and in need of the grace of God that it's only through, through his purchase of us that we can worship him. See, us being a living sacrifice, friends, it's not about payment. It's not about payment. It's about praise. We are enabled to to be reverent to the Lord, to revere him as, as, as our Savior, only because he redeemed us. His atonement leads to our adoration. It's not about payment. It's about praise. We could never repay the Lord for what he's done, and so we give ourselves over to him, totally, completely, to his service, to worship and praise him forever and ever. Let's take some time as we come toward the end of this this message and have have walked through this passage to apply some of these things. To understand how by the mercies of God we can be, we can present ourselves as a living sacrifice. How we can be holy and acceptable to God. How we can be conformed, not to this world, but transformed unto Christ. By the renewal, renewal of our minds, let's talk about these things and understand how we can test and know and discern the will of God. We've got seven applications. I'll do my best to keep the numbers straight, as always. But the first is this. Listen to the appeal. Paul begins this section by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's appealing to the brothers, to the sisters, to the body, the church of God. Listen to the appeal. The appeal of Paul, the appeal of the rest of scripture, the appeal of of the witness of so many of the life of Jesus and his work, the appeal of the spirit, the instructions that come from the word of God and from the, the, the spirit speaking in you and through you. Read your Bibles, understand what is true. Listen to it, hear it, listen to the appeal, this, this, this. Plays right into the second application that that we can take from this passage, which is to know the mercies of God. Know the mercies of God. Because, well, friends, if you're listening, you're going to learn. If you listen, then you will learn. Start with grace. Start with God's uh, uh, gift of faith and salvation to us. All of the mercies of God, these are the foundation of, of being a living sacrifice unto him. Know these mercies. Know these mercies deep within your bones. And if you do, if you do, then then this third application should come quite easy, which is to get a new mind. Get a new mind. Because if, if you know the mercies of God and if you understand, if you understand that not only that God saves sinners, but that he saves me, a sinner, then your desires will begin to be shaped to look like His. That if you know the mercies of God, then you will desire the mercies of God. Allow the Spirit to to guide you, not toward the flesh, but toward the Father. Abide in Christ. Dwell on the things of God, for His ways are higher than ours. So much higher. Hear the words and obey. This leads to the, the next application, which is, which is to, to test the will of God, to test the will of God, to discern the will of God, and to seek the will of God. With, with cautiousness, with watchfulness, and with intentionality, test everything that you hear. Discern whether it is in line with the scriptures and with the Spirit, and see if it is good, if it is righteous, if the Lord approves of it, if it's acceptable to Him, if it's in line with what He's commanded. And if it's full and complete and perfect, test, discern, and seek the will of God. The next application is is to be that living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. Be a thank offering. Give yourself over to a life of thanksgiving, of praise unto the Lord. All of who you are, your body and your soul, your mind and your heart, and worship God alone. Have no other gods before him as he has commanded. But as a living sacrifice, truly give yourself in response to the mercies that he has poured over you to a life of praise and worship. And finally, finally appeal to one another. Appeal to one another. Just as Paul is appealing to the church here, calling them to, to offer themselves unto God, calling them to be transformed by the working of the Holy Spirit, appeal to one another. Whether this, is, whether this is revealing the mercies of God to someone who has never heard them, we might call that evangelism. Or if it's through teaching to one another in this place, among your brothers and sisters, what we might call discipleship. Either way, we are, we are to, to imitate Paul in pointing out the mercies of God and in calling and, and encouraging one another to be transformed by them encourage one another, discern the will of God with one another, worship with one another, do all of these things together that you won't be conformed to the world, but you'll be transformed by the Spirit. Finally, I just want to leave you with this. I want to close with with this. um, And that's to address just one question that I think maybe some of you might still be having. Is whether any of this is worth it whether any of this is worth it, whether, whether my own self-sacrifice, which, which requires that I carry my cross daily, which is at times a heavy load, whether that will be worth it. Well, let me just remind you, let me just remind you of one of the mercies of God. One of the mercies of God, where, where Christ t- tells us in, in Matthew chapter 11 that, that the yoke that he puts on to us is easy and light. That, that all of the troubles of this world are light and momentary afflictions, that when we look to Christ, the true propitiation for our sins, we recognize that the payment that he offered for us is so much greater. We praise because we know that he has promised to return for us, that he has promised to bring us into glory and, and into the fullness of who he is in closeness with his presence Maybe the, maybe the greatness of, of the mercies of God, the fullness of them, could be summed up in knowing that we are satisfied in God. Our only proper response is to offer ourselves in worship to Him. Won't you be satisfied? And won't you praise? Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just pray that by your mercies, Lord, through the saving work that you work in us, through your sanctification of us, Lord, through the glory that is coming, Lord, through all of these things that we might offer ourselves, present ourselves before you as a living sacrifice, Lord, as thank offerings in in response to your goodness and your working in our lives. Father, I pray that, that we would be holy and acceptable to you, Won't you work in us through your Spirit to make us be so? I pray that that in everything, each day, we we would offer our spiritual worship, that we would offer our body and our heart and our mind. Lord, that we would not conform ourselves to the world, that we would not walk in the ways of the wicked, but instead that we would walk toward you. That we would walk toward you being transformed by your Spirit into the image of your Son. Father, I pray that that by the renewal of our minds, we may test and discern your will. God, that you would reveal to us each day all that is good and acceptable and perfect in your eyes. And that in doing all these things, we might be satisfied in you and that you might be glorified. Lord, we pray this in the name of your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.